Hi, and welcome to this podcast, Boy and the Wolves of Chilga, the first in the Wolves of Chilga series. Episode 1, Boy and Grandy. He was running, running without tiredness, running for the joy of it. He was running free. He needed no shoes and felt the damp earth, the fallen leaves and twigs beneath his bare feet. He felt so light, as though he was hardly touching the ground. The forest seemed endless, but he didn't care. He knew he could run and run. So different from school, where he plodded around the track, always overtaken, always last. No stitch now, no breathlessness. Tonight, he was running free. His senses felt so alive he could hear every bird calling, an animal moving in the depths of the forest around him. He knew what type of animal had crossed his path, each with its own distinctive scent. Here a deer. There a goat. He wanted to follow each one, track them down. But tonight was for running. He ignored all the tempting smells as he swerved through the trees, jumping fallen tree trunks, never slowing, never tiring. He was thirsty. He would stop at the stream for a drink. He couldn't see it, but smelt and felt its presence ahead. Then he began to hear it. The babbling grew, and the forest opened up in the still evening light to reveal a cool, misty clearing. With the stream in front of him, he paused, instinctively listening for any threatening sounds, and then jogged to the water's edge. He didn't cup his hands to gather water just leaned forward and relished the cool sensation on his face as he gulped it down. It tasted so fresh, so good. He paused to look around again, and then looked down. He froze. His heart raced. There were paws in front of him, not his hands. Long grey furry limbs, not arms. The reflection in the water, it wasn't him. It was a wolf's face. A wolf's body. He screamed silently and tried to back away, but his limbs felt leaden. He couldn't move. He couldn't take his eyes off the deep yellow and black eyes that looked back at him from the pool. Eyes that seemed to be growing and growing, boring into him. Come on, son. Wake up. It's time to get up and pack. We want to be out today, not tomorrow. His father was looking down at him. Boy looked around. This was his bedroom. His desk and TV. His bookcase. Yes, his room. The forest, him running, the wolf's face and eyes. It was a dream, but it had been so vivid. He sighed in relief. His father laughed, bent down and ruffled his hair. Go and get your breakfast. He felt groggy as he stumbled out of bed. Yeah, a dream, he thought. Must have been a dream. It was later that afternoon, and they were on the road. It was cloudy and rainy, and that felt about right. Boy sighed again as he looked out of the car window. I still don't see why I have to stay three nights at Grandy's. Because we asked her to, replied his mum. You mean your dad and I can go away for the celebration? It's important to us. Come on, son, his dad said cheerily. You know how much she enjoys seeing you. It'll be fun. She'll spoil you rotten. He grinned at his son via the rear-view mirror. 
boy glared out of the window. He was eleven and fed up. He sat, arms crossed, and spoke to their backs. Yeah, for an afternoon. But what can I do for three whole days and nights? No phone, no internet, no television, no nothing. And why she got a thing against me bringing my phone? His mum's tone became exasperated. Well, you're going and you'll have fun because you always do. You two don't stop talking, do you? You know how she jokes that she wants to see your face, not the top of your head, and how you can't play on your phone and talk at the same time. And you know she always cooks your favourite foods. And anyway, she sighed, what, just what is she going to say about you having decided you hate your name and won't have it spoken? Honestly, it's beyond me. She tutted, shook her head and stared out of the window. He shrugged. He hated his name. Always teased about it at school. He decided three weeks ago to be called boy or nothing. After all, that's what he was, a boy. As he watched the outskirts of the town slip away and the green fields take over, Boy couldn't help but half-smile. She was right about Grandy. He knew he'd enjoy it, despite the lack of home comforts. But no phone for three whole days, he groaned to himself. Look, both of you, his mum said. Over there, look at that dog running across the fields. You know it's so wrong letting your dog run wild like that where there are animals grazing. Where? His dad glanced quickly to his left. That is a big dog. Never seen one like that. Crossbreed of some sort, I suppose. His father slowed the car so his wife could look more closely. Boy watched it running, loping along, no effort. Covering so much ground so quickly, he stopped listening to his parents. His heart quickened. He instinctively knew it was no dog. He knew exactly what it was. It wasn't a dog. It was a wolf. At that moment, it stopped, turned, and looked towards the car. He was sure the black and yellow eyes met his gaze. He was staring at him, looking into him, understanding him. He couldn't look away. Those eyes gazing back at him, the eyes of the wolf. It was the wolf in his dreams. But how could it be? He wanted to shrink away and hide, but before he could think or speak, it suddenly turned and ran into a wood and was gone. He shook himself and concentrated on his mum and dad, who were talking excitedly about the celebration, what they would do, who they would meet. Soon they were pulling up outside the old rambling house, his dream and the wolf put to one side. For over two hundred years the house had stood and nestled up against the hill, overlooking the river and town. Boy loved the solid grey stone walls, the tall bay windows either side of the ornate double doors. The doors had a carving around its edge of a pack of wolves chasing a deer. He wondered for the first time why it was there when his thoughts were interrupted by the car stopping. He tumbled out of the car to be met by an outwardly elderly widow, five foot nothing, still upright, with white hair tied back in a bun. She was leaning with both hands on her stick, looking intently at him. Boys always thought she looked very old, except for the eyes. They shone and sparkled, and sometimes when she looked hard, it was though she was looking through you. 
He grinned at her and hurried towards her. After welcomes and hugs, they all made their way into the house. All her attention was on boy as ever. He made his parents smile as they walked behind him and his weekend bag. Gramdy peppered boy with questions and listened intently to his answers. Convinced that both would be fine together, his parents hugged him and made their excuses. The journey would be long, they explained, and before boy knew it, he was watching their car disappear down the narrow, winding road. Well, what should we do tonight? asked Gramdy. He shrugged, he didn't know what to say. Well then, I think we should have tea and then wrap up and go out and look at the stars. Tonight is a special night, and has been for countless hundreds of years. She smiled and held up her hand. No questions until tonight. Why don't you explore the garden whilst I cook your favourite meal? She laughed, knowing that would bring an immediate smile. Boy headed out to explore the garden. It was long and seemed to stretch out forever. He walked across the lawn, through a hedge, to the back half of the garden. There was just weeds and bushes. The house backed against a hill, and as he walked along, the hill base beside him became steeper until at the far end of the garden, it was vertical, bare rock. He walked alongside it, his fingers tracing the black rock, until there, at the very bottom of the garden, dug into the rock, was the tunnel, or rather the tunnel entrance. It was set into the hill, about three metres tall and wide. A short distance in was a wall that blocked the entrance. His feet echoed on the rock floor as he stepped towards it. He was sure the wall was as old as the house itself. The stone blocks were the same grey colour and the size of those used to build the house. There was something about this tunnel. There was something to do with the fact it felt cold. It felt as though somehow there was a story here, a mystery. He never understood his fascination for it. He shrugged, listened, and realised Gramdy was calling for him. He walked towards the house, suddenly very hungry. Tea finished and pots washed and put away. Gramdy relaxed in her chair. All the furniture was big and old. His chair was leather and he could hardly touch the floor with his feet. They were playing cards and as usual he was winning. He often wondered if he did win or whether Gramdy let him win. The fire roared and crackled with heat. She felt the cold and always had the house too warm. Boy gave in and took off his jumper. He hated just wearing a short-sleeved T-shirt. But it was too hot, and he knew Gramdy didn't care if he was overweight. He just wished he wasn't. She gasped and saw the top of his arm. Boy, what's happened to your arm? It was still red and a bit sore. Oh, I did it the other week. Mum was ironing, and as I went past, I tripped on something and crashed into the ironing board. The iron fell off and landed on my arm. It did hurt quite a bit. He twisted his arm so he could inspect it himself. Mum put a cold press on it straight away. It's okay now. Just left these red marks. Mum thinks they'll go away soon. Gramdy kept looking at the marks it had left. The iron had landed face down, the point of the iron towards his elbow. When he looked in the mirror this morning, he thought it was, well, it looked like a face of some sort. Two of the steam holes had left round burn marks, almost like eyes. There were other marks below the eyes, 
It was a bit weird. Gramby was silent and then took his hand. She was staring intently at him, making him squirm a bit, then dropped his hand and nodded at the cards. I think it's your turn. Two hours later, and Boy was ready for bed. His eyes felt heavy, and he yawned sleepily. Gramdy chuckled to herself and stood up. Come on, put on your jumper and coat, and then let's go and look at the stars. This is a special night, you know. The stars haven't come together in this way for many hundreds of years. It is said that in times gone past, it was thought to be a night of deep magic. Before Boy could ask what she meant, he was being bustled into the kitchen. But Grandy, it's cold out there, and I'm normally in bed by this time. I'm sure you are, and quite right too. But not tonight. Come on. The night was cloudless, and as soon as they were outside, Grandy began pointing out the stars, telling him what the constellations were called. She took his arm to lean on and led them to a path at the back of the house that would lead them up the hill. It started as a gentle slope, but gradually got steeper. Boy became aware of Gramdy's laboured breathing and the need for frequent stops as they climbed higher. Are you sure you want to climb this hill, Gramdy? We can go back if you like. He was thinking of his warm bed. Young man, I have been walking this hill these past 80 years and more, and I'm not about to stop now. So, come on, you are slowing us down. I want to get to the stone bench tonight. Not tomorrow. Yes, Gramdy. Sorry. They carried on without speaking. Above them, it was dark, but not pitch black. The moon had risen and lit the way in front of them. Gradually, the path swung round the side of the hill, and when Boy looked back, he could no longer see the old house. They came to a set of old stone steps, dug into the hillside. We're nearly there, Boy. Just these steps to go. Gramdy let go of his arm, gathered herself, and with a look of grim determination began to climb them. Boy looked around him, then realized what was unusual. It was the silence. Even at Gramdy's house, there were some sounds. The radio, or her bustling around in the kitchen, even the distant traffic noise from the main road. Here, though, there was nothing. It hung around him like a cloak. He shivered and trudged up the steps after her. His legs were aching. He was not used to climbing this far, but he could hardly complain to Gramdy. And then they were in a semi-circular glade. The ground was flat and looked as if it had been cut out of the hillside. In the middle was an old stone bench. It rested on three pillars, each in the shape of an animal sitting upright. But they were so worn, it wasn't possible to make out what sort of animal they were. He guessed a dog. Grandy slumped onto the bench to rest. She looked up and with a half-smile said, there, I told you we could manage. Boy sat beside her and smiled back whilst rubbing his legs, which were seriously wobbly. So, why are we here, Gramdy? Soon, boy, soon. Do I have to call you boy? You have a perfectly good name, and it's no use shaking your head at me like that, young man. Anyway, we are here to wait and watch and see. And so saying, she reached into her overcoat and pulled out a packet of biscuits and a small bottle of water. Come on, help me with these. I think we deserve a small treat after that climb. Boy looked at his watch and was surprised. It was already 10.45 p.m. This bench, she said, looking around, this whole cut-out area was fashioned and made for this night. 
not this night, but for a night centuries ago, when the stars also came together in such a way. This bench would have been for the elders of tribes. They would have been seated around to celebrate the time of power. A voice drifted away. She sat without moving, then turned and took his hands in hers. Before my house was built, there was another house. And a house before then. For generations, our family have lived here. And so will you one day. Parent to child, it has always been the way. She paused and gazed up at the night sky and continued in an excited whisper. The moon has gone behind the hill. Now look, straight in front of you, the two planets. See them? They are its eyes. Now focus on what is around the eyes. The stars, they're forming an outline. The outline of a face. Do you see it, boy? The face of a wolf. Boy stared at the stars. They were just a collection of stars and planets, weren't they? But then he focused on the two planets and gasped. The stars around the planets, they formed the outline of a wolf's head. The eyes seemed to be alive and looking at him, and him alone. The head appeared to be growing and growing. He heard a voice, a deep, rich voice. Take courage, child. You are the prophecy. Follow your heart. It is your time. What is it, boy? What's the matter? said Groundy, reaching for his hand. Boy continues to stare into the dark. I, I, I thought I heard a voice, but I couldn't have, could I? Did you hear anything, Gramdy? She just nodded and whispered. No, boy, I didn't hear anything. He knew it before she replied. Knew it before he started looking around. The voice. It hadn't been someone speaking in front of him or behind him. It had been in his head. It was crazy, but it was almost as if it had come from the face in the sky. Boy thought about the voice. It hadn't been a scary voice. It was a someone you looked up to and did as they asked. Without speaking, she stood, and together they set off back down the hill. Gramdy kept her curiosity in check until they were halfway down. She glanced at her young companion. What did the voice say, boy? He frowned, thinking hard. I I'm sure it said, take courage, child, and follow your heart. It it's your time. But it said I was the prophecy. Doesn't make sense, does it, Gramdy? He felt rather than saw her looking at him. She leaned close to him. Perhaps it does somehow, she whispered. Then almost to herself, perhaps it does. She paused to catch her breath and then looked up at the night sky. Boy, these stars will form again tomorrow night. And as I understand it, for several days thereafter. Perhaps something is to happen during that time. Be careful, boy, but trust your instincts. This is magic, you see. Old magic. She sighed and took his arm. Oh, I know people scoff and say such things are nonsense. But then there is so much we don't understand. We humans, we're very arrogant, boy. We like to think we understand everything. But there are many things out there beyond our understanding or yet to be understood. Boy said nothing. He felt uneasy, scared even, but also excited, as though he was at the beginning of an adventure. Just as he was about to speak, they turned the corner and they looked down at the, over the house and garden. There was something wrong. There was a pale, almost ghostly light coming from the far end of the house. 
He couldn't see where his source was. Gramdy stopped. I didn't leave a light on, did I, boy? No, Gramdy. I- I'm sure you didn't, and it doesn't look like a light, does it? Well, it's the wrong colour for a fire. It must be a torch. Perhaps someone is down there. Come on, then. Let's hurry and see what it is. As they neared the house, they could see that the glow came from the garden. The back end of the garden. They stopped again. At the far end of the lawn, a pale mist was gathering. It rose up and blocked the view of the cliff and the tunnel entrance. They said nothing, but held each other tightly as they moved down the path, past the house and towards the mist. Close to, they could see it swirling round. Grandy, the light is coming from the tunnel. The mist is coming from there as well. Should we go back to the house? No, I do not sense there is any danger here. It is the night of the wolf. Who knows what can happen? Let's just go to the tunnel edge. But what if there's something there? You you can't run, can you? She patted his hand. You'll just have to protect me then, won't you? Grandy chuckled to herself. Boy didn't think that was that funny. But they linked arm and moved slowly towards the mist and the light. Boy strained his ears to pick up any sound. But there was just the dead silence you get with fog. As they advanced, he noticed that the mist felt strange. It was damp but warm. It was not cold on his face, as you'd expect, but a cold night. The gentle light grew stronger. It was definitely coming from the tunnel. As they neared the entrance, the light seemed to fade a little. And Gramdy gasped, and then nodded, as if she understood something. Boy gazed in astonishment, looking for the wall that blocked their way. Except it wasn't there. The stone wall had gone. The light shone eerily through the swirling mist coming from deep inside the tunnel. Gramley let go of his arm and turned to him. She took his face in her hands and looked deeply into his eyes. He wanted to step back, unsettled by her intense scrutiny. He was worried about what she was going to say. Boy, I do not fully understand this. I know it is our destiny to be tied to the night of the wolf. It has been so since time long ago. One day I can tell you more. The voice you heard, the tunnel, is calling you. Boy, I do not sense danger, just a journey. I'm too old and frail. Your father is not here. I think it is your time. He felt excited and frightened. He trusted Gramdy completely, always had. But this, he gulped and just nodded, and turned to face the mist and light. He knew if he stopped or waited a second, he couldn't do it. He took a step forward and heard a whisper. Take courage, child. He took a few more steps and felt the mist swirl around and enclose him. Boy moved forward into the mist, walking slowly, hands in front of him, his eyes and ears alert for any noise or movement. The light was beginning to fade. Gramdy, he called out. The the light is going, I'm coming back. No answer. Gramdy, can you hear me? Silence. No answer. He began to feel his stomach churn. The breeze had gone. 
The mist seemed thicker. He took a few more paces and became puzzled and confused. He looked back to see how far he'd come in. But the combination of the fading light and the increasing mist meant he couldn't be certain where the entrance was. He started to feel really frightened. He put his hand out, searching for the wall across the tunnel. There was nothing there. The mist was just too thick to see where it and the tunnel were. There wasn't much light left. He looked back, and the light was in both directions. He was lost. Too quickly he turned around, overbalanced, and fell onto his hands and knees. Cross with himself, he got up and realized he had no idea which was in or out. He took a deep breath. He knew he must keep calm and slowly make his way back. He thought he was facing the way towards the entrance and Gramdy's garden. He had to be. Gramdy! Gramdy! This time at the very top of his voice. Nothing. Why did she let me come in? He thought to himself. If I'd had my way, I'd be in bed, not looking at stupid skies and walking in stupid tunnels. Feeling with his feet, he took a few more steps. There was just enough light to see the mist was getting less dense. A breeze on his face told him he must be near the entrance. He started to relax and carried on walking slowly. Then suddenly, the mist cleared and was gone. He was outside. He searched around him. Grandy! Grandy! Where are you? He was irritated that Grandy must have gone inside and left him to it. Boy noticed that the moon was high above him now, which was odd. He started to get his night eyes and looked towards the garden and house. They weren't there. Just grass and then trees. He must be confused. A trick of the moonlight. But as his eyes swept around him, it was the same. No bushes, no garden, no house. He was surrounded by a tall woodland forest. He couldn't understand what was happening. Only brought a torch. Took a few more breaths. Made himself think. He'd only been walking for a few steps. Possibly more than he realised. Perhaps the tunnel went all the way through the steep part of the hill. After all, he'd never climbed it. Too steep and high. So it, it could be very thin. That was it. He relaxed a bit and started to walk back through the tunnel. He stopped in amazement. The tunnel was blocked. Even in the moonlight, he could see there was a wall. He reached out and touched it. It was solid, but not stone. It was wood. Old and gnarled horizontal tree trunks that had been carved and laid out one on top of the other to form a flat wall reaching up to the top of the tunnel. He gulped a breath in and gritted his teeth, pushed with all his might. Nothing. It was solid. It would not move. He looked around wildly, feeling the panic rise up inside him. Grandy! He felt his cry swallowed up by the night and knew it was useless. He had to think. He told himself there must be a reason, an explanation. He double-checked the tunnel sides in case he'd come through a side entrance. Solid. So, he was somehow by a wood or a copse. There had to be a road somewhere, and from a road he could find directions and get back to Grandy's house. Grandy, he remembered her words. Have courage, child. His heart pounding, he resolved to go on. The moon seemed closer and brighter than normal, looked different somehow. He shook his head. Had to be some light, which was a bonus. Only brought that torch. Boy knew he had to focus. 
The moon was still in front of him. So if he walked facing, he couldn't walk in a circle. The wood seemed to be of tall trees, not pine trees. In fact, not like anything he'd seen before. There didn't seem to be much undergrowth, just pockets of bushes that were as tall, no taller than him, but lots of clear space as well. He set off. At least it was warm and he had proper shoes. The grass felt springy underfoot. Walking calmed him, and he came less scared and more excited. He undid his coat. Actually, that was a bit weird too, he thought. He wondered why it had become so warm. After all, it was autumn. He was sure it wasn't like this half an hour ago. The floor of the wood was pretty flat, with gentle undulations. The moon shone through the trees, giving Boy enough light to see where he was going. The moon was still ahead, so he knew he was keeping a straight line. It was quiet, though. Not a sound, as though the horror forest was asleep. Just his feet walking through the leaves and the occasional snap as he stepped on a twig. After a couple of minutes, he began to wonder how big the wood was. Was it a forest? He shook his head. There were no big forests by Grandy. He was sure it was open land and woods. Small woods. He would be fine, he told himself. As long as he didn't panic. He just had to keep going straight, he told himself, hoping it was not too far. A rustle in the trees to his left. He was sure he heard a rustle. Boy instinctively knelt down behind a bush so he couldn't be seen. He peered through the leaves. He strained to see or hear what had made the noise. More rustles. He didn't see anything at first. But then there were shapes moving towards him. Big shapes. Animals. He sighed with relief. They were deer. Never seen deer like this before, though. He didn't even know deer lived near here. The lead one was as big as a horse with two very long and very sharp-looking horns. There were about 20 of them, including mothers and fawns. Suddenly, the leader stopped. He looked directly at the bush where Boy was hiding. He hadn't moved, had he? They all stopped. All seemed to be staring at where he's hiding. As one, they suddenly darted away in what sight seemed an instant. They had gone. He was about to get up when he heard another noise. This time, it came from behind him. Was it him the deer had been looking at? Or was there something else, more dangerous, that had spooked them? His knees were beginning to ache, but he dared get up. Very slowly, he started to twist round so he could see what was coming towards him. The noise had stopped. There it was again, almost like whispering, quiet rustling again. Then nothing. A shape. He could see a shape. No, two shapes. They were coming in his direction. There were humans. He breathed a sigh of relief. They were taking great care as they continued to slowly walk towards him. He didn't know if they'd seen him. They were taller than him, but not much. And they were talking. Well, they must have heard you. I wasn't moving when they stopped. Some hunter you're going to make. Sounded like a girl's voice. Could have been something else, an animal? Definitely a boy. I suppose it could have been either of us, she replied good-naturedly. Children. They could tell him the way home, although funny they should be out in the woods at this time of night. Smiling and relieved, he was about to stand up when they came in view. He stopped instantly. Eyes wide, mouth open, 
At the same time, they spotted him, grabbed each other, and stood still, gaping. The moon was so bright, he could vaguely make out what they were wearing. Both wore tunics and leggings of some sort, but their feet were bare. They were carrying spears. Look at his clothing, the girl whispered. Where are you from? Can you understand? Careful, Malena, said the taller one nervously. He's crouching and aimed the point of his spear at Boy. It could be dangerous. Boy's knees were screaming, and he knew he had to stand and show he wasn't dangerous. He slowly got up, hands in front of him, palms open, to show he meant no harm. The girl leaned forward and put her hand on the tip of the boy's spear and lowered it. He means us no harm, Detra. She smiled and stepped towards him. Stranger, do you understand me? What kith are you? For you are not from round here, are you? Hello? Do you understand? Detra said loudly. Malena looked at the sky. I'm sure he's not deaf. But I will be if you talk like that again, and you will scare every creature within a day's run. He winced. I'm Elena, and this is Detra, the girl said encouragingly. Boy stuttered. I- I'm Boy. Where am I? I'm-, I'm lost. I came through the tunnel. I need to get back to the other side of the hill. They looked at each other, and then at Boy. Detra spoke. What do you mean you came through the tunnel? How could you? It's blocked up. Anyway. He's forbidden to enter it, always has been. Then a thought occurred to him. Are you alone, or are you with others? And so saying, both of them raised their spears and began looking around. No, no, boy said quickly and put his hands out again. I, I'm alone. I was visiting Grandy. She lives in the old farmhouse at the other side of the hill. I, I came through the tunnel by mistake, and when I tried to go back, it was blocked. I don't know where I am, but I need to get back before I miss, so... Can you tell me the way to the nearest road to take me round the hill so I can get back home? Detra and Malena looked at each other. It was clear they didn't understand what he was talking about. Malena spoke first. We are the kith of Chilga. All this, to the mountains of the north, is the land of the Chilga. And always has been. What is Grandy? And what is road? How could you have come to us by the gateway? You said it was blocked as it's always been. She looked doubtfully at him again. Boy started to worry. Oh, I- I'm telling the truth. Honestly, please, just show me the way to the nearest road. I mean, path. Uh, and I'll leave you alone. Boy just felt this was crazy. The sooner he was gone from the two children, the better. I, I don't know this area. I don't know a town called Chilga or-, or a family called Kith. So if you could show me a path out of here, then, and then I'll be on my way. But there is no such path. The forest reaches up to the mountains. You can't go around or across them. This is the end of Chilga. No one has ever crossed the mountains. They had been stepping closer to each other and were now face to face. Each could see the honesty in the other's eyes. Melena touched Boy's coat. Your clothing is so strange. Boy nodded in agreement, for he now realized their tops and long shorts appeared to be made out of giant leaves and leather, not like anything he'd ever seen. Your story makes no sense, Melena said, yet you believe you are telling us the truth. I cannot see what to do, other than to take you back to our people. Sentra, our leader, he can decide what should happen. Detran nodded in agreement, but Boy knew he had to get back and soon. He was about to protest, 
when the children as one dropped to the floor and pulled Boyd down with them. They signaled for him to be silent and still. He strained to see what had alarmed them. Then he saw it, a large grey shape between the trees. Now there were two, now three. Then, as they grew in number, he realised what they were. Wolves, but not wolves as he had seen at the zoo. These were bigger, much bigger, in fact huge, long-legged, with grey and white fur. But the eyes, the eyes of the lead one, they were looking straight at him, holding him. He couldn't move, he was frozen to the spot. He became aware of the two children getting up, pulling him to his feet, so they stood between them. They raised their spears, facing the pack of ten wolves. Boy felt they were trying to protect him, and he knew he must somehow follow their example and try and show no fear. But he was afraid, so afraid. He watched the lead wolf almost amble towards them, and then stop about fifteen metres away. He dared not look directly at it. It was too big, too frightening. The other wolves formed a semicircle around them. They were so huge, there was no way the children could protect him. He licked his dry lips, felt his heart pounding. The children were pointing the spears at one, then another wolf, as though by doing so it was somehow holding them back. The three of them started back away. The wolves took a short step forward, then another step back by the children, another forward by the wolves. The ritual continued. What are they doing here? Milena hissed. I've heard tell of them, but I've never seen them before. They live in the north. Wait, we're being herded. I don't know why, but we're being pushed away from the village. The children continued to back away, the wolves gently nudging them towards the edge of the wood. Then they were out of it, and on the field, in front of the tunnel. What do we do, Milena? Detra looked around. We're being pushed towards the gateway wall. What do we do then? They were halfway across the grass when the pack leader stopped, looked around at the other wolves. They stopped, as if at the lead wolf's command, and sat down on their haunches. The children kept backing up until they were in front of the tunnel entrance. The wolves made no move towards them. Boy did not know what any of this meant. Why have they stopped? What are they going to do? he asked. I don't know. We wait, I suppose, said Detra. We hope they come from the village to find us, and soon, I hope. Boyer was drawn towards the lead wolf. It too was now sitting on his haunches. He seemed to be looking at him intently. He didn't want to look into its eyes, but felt as though he had to. He couldn't help himself. He lifted his head and gazed back into the black and yellow eyes of the lead wolf. He instantly felt the fear drain from him, and a calmness sweep around and into him. They weren't going to kill him. He knew that they were safe. He took a step forward. The girl grabbed his arm. Boy, she hissed, what are you doing? Stay here. Stay behind us. He turned to look at her, smiled and released her hand. It's okay, I'm sure. He turned back to face the wolf. He seemed to be studying him. Boy gulped. It was so big. It had to be two meters tall. He generally didn't like dogs. Never mind wolves. So why is doing this? He had no idea. Another step forward. Yes, you'll be fine. Two of the other wolves growled, bare their teeth and began to move towards him. Their leader turned to look at them and snarled. They both dropped their heads and ears and quickly returned to their position. Be careful, boy, Detra whispered. Slowly and step by step, he walked towards the wolf. It held his gaze the whole time. Boy felt as though it was making up its mind. 
He stopped, so close now. A thought appeared to Boy. It was like a voice, a deep, rich voice in his head. Yes, you are the one. Your time is nearly upon you. Do not delay your return. Time presses upon us. The wolf then turned away, and followed by the rest of the pack, loped gently back into the trees. Boy stood stock still. Did he imagine the voice? It felt as though it was the same voice he'd heard before when gazing up at the stars with Gramdy. Wasn't it? Could wolves talk in this strange place? His confusion was interrupted by Detra, slapping him on the back, full of admiration. I don't know what happened there. I could never have done that. He regarded Boy curiously. Who are you? The girl turned Boy around, gently smiled at him and said quietly, I think we owe you our lives. Thank you. What can we do to repay you? Boy smiled back warmly. He'd never been treated like this before in his life. Didn't know what to say. Couldn't mention the voice. Didn't understand it himself. Melanie pointed towards the tunnel entrance and the rows of logs blocking it. Is this how you came into Chilga? Boy nodded. So, so how did you walk through the wall then? Asked Etra. Boy shrugged. Wasn't there. The tunnel was just full of mist. I just walked through. I, I thought I was going back to Gramdy's garden. But when I came out and looked back, the wooden wall was there. He walked up to it and ran his fingers and traced the rough, time-worn wood. Suddenly he stiffened. Can't be, can it? He said aloud. The wood was softening under his touch. He pushed against it and felt his arm go through it. He pulled it back with a cry. The two children grabbed each other in wonder. You're a warlock? asked Entra. Boy shook his head. No, no, I'm just a boy. I don't understand what's happening, but... He tested the wall again. His hand went through and returned undamaged. I, I think I've got to go back tonight. Somehow, through this wall. Will we see you again? asked Melena. Boy didn't know what to say. It was all too confusing. He surprised himself by answering, Yeah, I, I think so. He couldn't think of anything else to say. Goodbye then. He shrugged his shoulders, half smiled, and turned to face the wall again. They both watched him go. Be careful, they both said. He then took a breath and pushed against the solid wooden beams. As before, his hand went straight through. It felt damp and stringy, as though the wood had half turned into a wall of super-thick fog and cobwebs. He shut his eyes tight and grimaced as he kept moving forward. He felt the cobwebby fog against his face, kept his eyes shut tight and grimaced as he felt it move and slip past his face. Then he was through, and the cobwebs had gone. He opened his eyes. He was in the tunnel, mist swirling about him. There was a light ahead. He put his arms out, waving them from side to side until he felt the wall. Step by step, he moved forward, taking comfort from the feel of the rough stone tunnel wall against his fingers. Whilst the mist grew less dense, the light started to dim. He hurried on, the light weakening with every step. It died. He could see nothing, feel nothing. He stopped. But at that moment, he felt the cool autumn wind against his face. He had to be nearly through. A few more paces and he began to make out the outline of the tunnel entrance. He carried on and grinned as in the moonlight he could see the familiar outline of the garden and beyond it the welcoming sight of the old farmhouse. Boy ran all the way through the garden and burst through the kitchen door to see a pleased and expectant Gramdy sitting patiently in her chair. 
Grandy, you'll never believe what's happened. I went through the door and it wasn't our world. Didn't know where it was. But the children, they were different. And the wolf, well, it's huge. And at which point he ran out of breath. And Grandy laughed and stood up and hugged him. She wanted to know everything from start to finish. While she made him a hot chocolate drink and opened the cookie jar she kept especially for him. He told her about finding himself in the strange land and how he'd met the children of Keth. He stood and put out his hands out wide when he described the wolves and their size and about walking towards them. His eyes sparkled and were full of amazement at his own daring. He reveled in Gramdy's smiles of encouragement, her periodic gasps, but did not notice her looks of concentration and thoughtfulness. Then he reached the part of the story where the wolf spoke to him in his head. He hesitated, conscious of how strange it would sound. Gramdy leaned forward took his hand between hers and smiled up at him. Boy, go on. What happened when you faced the big wolf? You can tell me what he said, no matter how silly it may sound. You know then, Grandy, you know about the voice in my head, that he, well, the wolf spoke to me. No, I didn't know, but I guessed. Grandy patted his hand. A tale for another day. Go on, she said encouragingly. Now, more subdued and unsure of himself, Boy described the wolf and his rich, deep voice. A voice he knew he had never heard in his life before. On TV, radio, or in person, it was dawn by the time he'd finished. Whilst he sat contentedly munching a biscuit, Grandy sat back reflecting. Boy, the last time you were here, your mum was telling me about the big dog that lived next door. About how aggressive it could be towards strangers. But not with you, but she never got to finish the story. Rocky. I think he must be a cross of every big breed, he laughed. I don't know why they took it in. Mum thought they were mad to do it. Barks all the time and has to be locked up with their visitors. But when I go round, he just stops and wags his tail, puts his head on my lap and just looks up at me. He's strange, but I like him. Grandy nodded thoughtfully. I'm glad you like animals. Always remember, boy, and it's something I always follow. No matter how big or ferocious an animal is, Show strength and show courage. Will you remember that? Boy nodded, not really understand why she was saying it. I do believe you, boy, about the voice in your head. The wolf's voice. It must have been very exciting and very confusing. Perhaps this can't be solved now. Perhaps we just have to wait and see. For now, I think your whole adventure had best be our secret. Don't you? Boy agreed immediately. He'd been dreading telling his parents. He just knew they wouldn't understand. Gramdy looked outside. It was light. Time for bed, I think, don't you? Boy suddenly realized how tired he was. Without another word, he slowly climbed the stairs and without even getting undressed, collapsed onto the bed and fell into a deep, dreamless sleep. It was the smell of food that woke him. His clock said 3 p.m. He rushed downstairs to be greeted by a smiling Gramdy and a plate piled high with food. For the next few minutes, there was silence apart from the sound of cutlery on plate and the occasional hmm, hmm, from boy. Thank you, Grandy. That was the best breakfast ever. Or lunch, or whatever that was. Later that evening, Grandy sat boy down at the table and took his hands. Boy, I've been thinking all day about what you have told me and about what day it is. There will be a wolf sky again tonight. I do not know why you have been called or why the wolf has sent you back, other than to ready yourself for the journey. I think their land needs you, boy. 
Does that make any sense to you? Boy thought long and hard. He thought about his dream, about when he was in the car and saw the wolf running in the field, then stopping and looking at him. He thought about the wolf's sky, about being in Chilga and walking towards the wolf with that fear. Then he remembered the wolf's voice telling him it, it was his time. His time? Time for what? He was just a boy, after all. He was no hero. He wasn't in anyone's group. wasn't good at sport. He was okay at schoolwork. Just okay at everything, really. He was just a boy. Then he remembered the thrill and power when he ran in the dream. The confidence, the calm, and yes, excitement, all rolled into one when he walked towards the wolf in Chilga. The admiration in the voices of Detra Malena. He was nervous, scared really, at the thought of going back. But how could he deny that voice? How could he deny the wolf's voice? He had to return to Chilga. Yes, Grandy, I'm ready now. I'm ready to go back as the tunnel is open for me. She nodded and half smiled. She seemed to understand and accept so much. Grandy, have you ever been to Chilga? She laughed and started to bustle about. Have I ever been? What a question. Come on, you need to get ready. Boy was suddenly nervous. It was getting dark. Going back had seemed such a good idea in the daylight. He went to the window to see if the tunnel was lit. At first the garden looked dark. Then he could dimly see it. A very dim, pale light had come on somewhere. He kept staring. It was getting brighter. He could make out the outline of the tunnel clearly now. He watched as it grew, and the mist began to seep out of the tunnel, swirling round. Grandy, the tunnel, it's lit up. It must mean the wall is gone. He stopped and, looking at Grandy, felt his stomach tightening. It meant he could go back. Grandy hugged him, then held him at arm's length. Boy, I do not know the future, but I feel the old magic. It is here and around you. You are a chosen one, boy. Be strong and you'll be safe, I, I'm sure. Boy just nodded. He felt confused by her talk about chosen one and old magic, but he knew he couldn't stop any longer. He had to go now or he never would. He hugged her in return, put on his coat, and stepped out into the cool autumn air. This was Boy and the Wolves of Chilga, written, narrated, and recorded by Simon Taylor. For more information about Simon Taylor, his books, radio broadcasts and school storytelling, go to www.simontaylorstoryteller.com.